Hey everyone, uh, sorry for the long break, but we're back. This is part two of the Dr. Olympus series, sponsored by Olympus Labs. In this podcast, we're actually going to focus on a specific topic, and then we're going to do a Q&A. This podcast is going to specifically focus on natural anabolics, what I think is good, and recommended doses. The original person who asked this question also asked if I could give my input on what I think doesn't work, but I think to be fair to a lot of companies, I'm not going to start listing ingredients I don't think that work. What I could do on the other hand, though, is if you specifically ask about an ingredient, then I could definitely answer you. I just don't want to make it seem like I'm being very biased. All right, so our first one is going to be ARA. For those of you wondering, ARA is arcadonic acid, which is an omega-6 fatty acid, meaning it's pro-inflammatory, the opposite of omega-3 acids. ARA works by converting to prostaglandins, which then branches out to other echosinoids. Um, what we're trying to do is, when we use ARA, we're trying to increase the amount of prostaglandins in the body. Because ARA is pro-inflammatory, you need to avoid omega-3s and anything else that inhibits COX-2 while taking ARA. People often take uh, ancillary products when taking ARA, which includes GMS, which is just a glycerol monosterate, or uh, phosphatidic acid to emulsify ARA. Um, another thing a lot of people take with ARA is carnitine, commonly LCLT, to limit the impact of COX-1, which therefore reduces uh, the thromboxine uh, formation. This results in an increase of the prostaglins from the ARA supplementation. The original recommendation for this ingredient was 1 gram a day taken about 45 minutes pre-workout on an empty stomach, but... The original manufacturer of this ingredient, uh, Molecular Nutrition, ran a recent clinical study which they found that if you take 1.5 grams of ARA on an empty stomach pre-workout, that was the most optimal dose. Be careful, however, as a lot of people find ARA to be extremely tough on their joints, especially with, because it's a pro-inflammatory. It just makes sense. My second ingredient to talk about is going to be phosphatidic uh, acid. Sorry, I'm terrible at pronouncing things that I've never said in real life. It, you guys will definitely see me post about these things in the forums, but unless I actually pronounce them out loud, your, your guess is as good as mine sometimes. Uh, I should also mention English is my third language. So, yeah. Um, anyways, PA is a phospholipid, meaning it's a part of cell membranes. Uh, it enhances mTOR signaling, increases hypertrophy in subjects who undergo resistance training, yada, yada, yada. Studies have shown that, at five, that uh, 750 milligrams a day, individuals increase lean mass gains, show an increase in strength, and may show some fat loss, although that is statistically insignificant. These products tend to be pricey, and the best solution for those looking to get bang for their buck is looking into soy uh, lithium products because they contain a number of different constituents, one being PA. PA, however, is not all um, 
rose-colored glasses, we'll say. It does have studies showing negative results, and by negative I mean no benefits. I'm not talking about adverse effects. So the jury is kind of out on this one. If I were to use it, I would use a minimum of 750 milligrams a day, and most likely if you're using a soy like them product, I would use around 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams a day. It's pretty cheap that way. Uh, our third ingredient is going to be analytics, uh Pyrethum. This is a popular anabolic substance that was first released by PES or PE Science. And it's very popular for good reason. AP can boost concentration of testosterone, LH, FSH. It increases lean body mass and it also possesses nutrient partitioning effects when taken with meals. That's why you'll often find their reps recommending you take it twice a day, two caps a time with a meal. The interesting thing, thing about this ingredient is that some people who utilize it experience an increase in hunger, which makes it a great addition to any bulk. Um, you'll also find a lot of people raving about the original Anabeta, so it's definitely a popular ingredient. Um, a newer product that I'd like to talk about is Olympus Labs' uh, Super Shred, which contains... Artemisia, Jesus, uh, Iwo Gomi, God bless the Asian herb names. Um, the nice thing with this product is that it's an all-natural, non-hormonal product that acts as a PPAR delta activator. Um, Super Shred actually aids in body fat reduction, shows an increase in stamina and endurance, um, and although some people might liken it to carterine, I wouldn't quite go that far because it's in a league of its own. And Super Shred also improves insulin resistance. If you want to read more about it, I would go to the Olympus Labs website and look up Super Shred. Our next ingredient is Epi Um Epi is present in many plants. Um, I think the most popular example you're, you're going to hear about is uh, cocoa, like dark chocolate. Um, a study on epi actually found that it increases the folostatin to myostatin ratio in humans. Essentially, why this is important is because you want to lower myostatin levels or inhibit myostatin because myostatin actually suppresses muscular growth. I'm not entirely convinced that this effect of epi is clinically significant in humans, personally, because, um... Myostatin inhibition has been a long-time target of big pharma companies. Um, for example, think people who have AIDS, burn victims, cancer patients, etc. And if big pharma can't do it, I find it a little bit hard to believe that dark chocolate has this magic ingredient that's going to be a fix-all for everything. I do, however, think it's going that it is a great ingredient for raising nitric oxide levels and increasing endurance. There's an increase in work on that field. And um, Olympus Labs might have something new on that venue in the near future. So keep an eye out on that. A really popular natural anabolic, uh, anabolic lately is uh, tomatidine, which is actually an alkaloid found in tomatoes. Um, you'll notice that Antis Labs recently released this, and it's been talked about for quite a while now on the forums, I'd say a few months. It has studies showing that it 
increases recovery, stimulates muscular hypertrophy, and increases exercise capacity. Um, what Entis Labs did with, was um, complex it with fulvic acid to increase the absorption. Fulvic acid, because it's a low molecular weight ingredient, can enhance the absorption of a lot of ingredients. Um, I personally don't really like cyclodextrin complex products, but that's just my personal opinion. I could probably have an entire podcast on that, but I will refrain. I think it's my best interest to refrain. Um, as interesting as this ingredient, ingredient is, I think the current doses used in products is too low and that tomatidine requires a much higher dose. It does have a promising future, though, if the price can be brought down. And I saw that Entis Labs is having a temporary sale on this product being much more higher dose with much less fulvic acid involved. Um, if the price goes down, it's going to be fantastic. And I think the price will only go down if more companies use this. A great example is ARA, which used to be quite expensive until Molecular Nutrition finally sold their patent and they had some competition. Think of uh, X-Gels. Another natural anabolic is urosolic acid, which is found in numerous plants. Uh, UA actually acts as an insulin uh, nemetic, meaning it in increases levels of insulin, it increases GLUT4, it increases the glycogen content of muscle. UA can also increase muscular strength and can possibly help uh, improve body composition. But there's a big side effect of this. Well, not a side effect, the downside. It has terrible bioavailability. One of the few products on the market with decent bioavailability of, for a UA is Patrick Arnold's UA product, and it's because he has it bound to an acetic acid product, if I recall correctly. I believe it's a urosolic arginine acetate. Um, there are other ways of getting around the bioavailability, which I have explored in quite extensive detail, but I don't think the market's quite there for UA anymore. I think it had its time in the, in the sun, and it's kind of gone now. You'll notice a lot more companies aren't really using it anymore. But it does have decent data if you get rid of the bioavailability issue. It can also increase levels of thermogenesis by increasing levels of brown fat in muscle. So it is possibly useful, but you have to get over the whole bioavailability issue. Um, which honestly, it's not that hard. Any decent chemist can really come up with something. It seems... Like this industry is lacking in decent chemists, but that's also another topic. My current natural anabolic at the moment is Origin by Olympus Labs. Since you guys know I'm clearly sponsored by Olympus Labs, I'm going to give you a quick overbrief of it, but I'm not going to sound too shilly. And if you're interested in the product, feel free to look at it on the website. Um, Origin is a non-hormonal product that has basically anything covered. Um, from increasing appetite through ghrelin secretion to enhancing recovery through the use of uh, Robovit. I could say a lot more, but once again, if you're curious about the product, I would check it out on the website. Since some people are asking questions that aren't 
quite long enough for a podcast. Um, at the end of every podcast, I'm going to do a Q&A section now. So let's start with the Q&A. Um, ingredient, sorry, question number one. Someone was asking about ingredients not to combine with agmatine, and they provided quite a few examples. I'll talk about the examples and talk about why you can't actually use them in agmatine. Now, the number one thing people always ask about is citrulline and arginine. And I know it's because exam.com says not to include them, but I'm not entirely sure why they think so. I would love a detailed explanation other than what they currently state because it's pretty misguided. I assume they think that because L-citrulline, arginine, and agmatine would compete at the catalytic binding site. And because of that, that you can't combine them, but that's not the case. Using agmatine is not really to increase the blood levels of agmatine from the exogenous uh, agmatine you just administered. It's actually to induce the release of endogenous agmatine. Um, agmatine is already in the body. It's a neuromodulator. You'll find it all over. I've written about this many times. You can actually find a thread I wrote about agmatine discussing this. One of the major issues when Agmatine first came out was people were talking about how it only had a half-life of 10 minutes, but that's not an issue because you don't care about the actual serum level. What you care about, per se, is what's being released endogenously after you take Agmatine, not the external dose, if that makes any sense. If it doesn't, <laughs> please let me know, and I'll try to think of a more layman's way of thinking it. Sometimes it's hard to explain things in lesser details, I guess. Another issue people think arises with agmatine use is using uh, D-aspartic acid. Agmatine reduces both a voltage and a concentration-dependent block of NMDA receptor activity. And as you know, this is counterintuitive when using DAA, but this is not as simple as it seems. The main difference is that they both use different voltage-gated channels. Um, when I say voltage-gated channels, um, a lot of things will have a gate that will say will have three different types of ways of opening it. So we could say calcium, there could be a left side one, a right side one, etc. Both of these ingredients act on different voltage-gated channels, so there's no actual overlap. So if something's inhibiting one part of a receptor and the other one's uh, activating one part of a receptor, if there's no overlap in where they're acting, there shouldn't be any huge issue. People for years have been combining this. Um, Man Sports first brought it out in, I think, Prometheus, and it wasn't an issue. I posted about it back then about... Oh, geez. Five to six years ago? I'm getting old. Um, question number two. I'm interested in injury prevention slash correction and treatment. Maybe something you can give your take on. Um, this could be an entire podcast, and I might actually do a podcast with uh, VO2 Maxima, our uh, female rep. She's actually well-versed in this topic. Um, to give it a simple answer right now, Injury prevention is as simple as warming up, maintaining a proper diet, using a foam roller, and stretching while post-workout. I use 
a stretching routine called Magnificent Mobility. It's a little bit old now, but I like it quite a bit. A good treatment for injuries that aren't too severe is actually active release therapy. This is actually something I learned about from VO2 Maximum. She helped me out about a year ago when I was having problems with my forearms, and it honestly helped me out quite a bit. Our next question, and this is a doozy of a question because I have quite a bit to say about it, is what is the best ratio of BCAAs? And the question was specifically, say, 2 to 1 to 1 versus 10 to 1 to 1. Um, 10 to 1 to 1 being used by, say, companies like, I believe, USP Labs and for sure PE Science. Um, my answer is, the more leucine, the better. Studies in humans show that even in the presence of a high-protein meal, adding leucine further augments protein synthesis. Since protein synthesis is what creates new muscle tissue, it stands to reason that optimizing your leucine amount per meal, even if your meal is high in protein, will further boost muscle gain. In fact, recent studies show that the chief factor in determining how well a protein builds muscle is how much leucine is in the protein. By protein, I'm talking about um, a protein powder. Um, a very interesting study on this topic was done in 2011 by the U.S. military, meaning this is done in very fit individuals. And this was a study to study the effect of EAAs, which is essential amino acid supplementation, during endurance exercise. What they were looking at was the effect of EAA supplementation on post-exercise uh, skeletal muscle metabolism, and they broke it down in two groups. They were giving the soldiers 10 grams of EAAs in two different groups. Uh, the first group was receiving 3.5 grams of leucine, and the second group was receiving 1.7, no, sorry, 1.87 grams of leucine. Subjects performed one hour of slow, steady cardio while consuming their BCAA-EAA mixture over the course of the exercise. This was done over two weeks. The interesting part about the study is that muscle protein synthesis was greater in the higher leucine group, as much as 33% greater just by increasing leucine from about 2 grams to 3.5 grams. This shows that leucine is the key to activating MPS, and they also found that whole body protein breakdown was lower. So you're thinking to yourself, well, that's pretty common sense. I mean, leucine activates MPS, so what makes this study so unique? This study shows the importance of leucine, and it shows that the ratio of BCAs is not important. For years, people have been calling the touted so-called 2 to 1 1 ratio the best, but this study shows the ratio does not matter, but the high leucine content does. Uh, this study, for example, used a 4 to 1 1 ratio, and it also shows that as long as you get enough EAAs and everything included, leucine content is what matters, not the ratio. Um, when you read on one forums that the 2 to 1 1 ratio is the only studied ratio in BCAAs, that's a flat out lie. 
lots of other studies don't use 2 to 1, 1. It is, however, true if you say it's the most studied, but some people make outlandish claims saying it's the only studied one, and the companies using any other claims are making illegal claims, but that's not true. As long as they're referencing ratios that are actually used, it is a legal claim to make. And the last question in our Q&A is, which is superior to include intra-workout? Leucine, HICA, which is a metabolite of leucine, BCAAs, or EAAs? Based on what I said above, a mixture of BCAAs and EAAs. Leucine is, of course, covered by this answer. As for HICA, it's still an unknown quantity to me at this point. There's only been one positive study on the ingredients, and it's been a few years, so it makes me wonder why no one has bothered to study the ingredient any further, given the promise I had a few years ago. That's essentially it for this podcast. I am really sorry about the break. I've been working quite hard in the background. I'm busy at work all the time, but I'll definitely make more time to make my podcasts more frequent. Um, our next podcast is going to be all about diets with an emphasis on the ketogenic diet, since there's a lot of questions about that. And the best part about this is in the last month or so, there's been quite a few studies released about keto that shows maybe it isn't as good as it seems. So this will make for an interesting discussion next time. And that way it's not going to be a podcast entirely focused on the positives. We'll have some negatives to discuss. I'll also discuss cutting, bulks, intermittent fasting, and I hope you tune in. Thanks for listening. Bye.